This episode of the American Farrier's Journal podcast is brought to you by Horselink. How many times has a client forgotten to pay you? Or there's the client who has forgotten their checkbook and will get around to mailing the check. How long do you have to wait for payments from your foot care clients? With the app Horselink, horse owners can pay all of their service providers efficiently from one place at any time, trusting that their payment is securely processed and have easy access to an automatic service history for each horse. And because you as the farrier are the service provider, you can use Horselink to create and send invoices in just a few taps and easily keep track of the payments that are completed and outstanding. Download the app for free in the Apple App Store, Google Play, or visit Horselink.com today. Welcome to the American Farriers Journal podcast. I'm Jeremy McGovern. We'll break format in this episode to talk about how the coronavirus is affecting the farrier industry. It's been a weird few weeks and things are still moving fast. Last week, many of us were at the American Farriers Association convention in Chattanooga. And as the event started, maybe there was some mild concern among many attendees. But by the time it ended, many of us found out we were going to be directly impacted by travel or some other restrictions. I'm not doing this episode as an alarmist or to promote panic. And regardless whether you think the current measures in your area are helpful, or if you believe the situation is idiocy generated by the government and media, it doesn't matter. The fact is, is the farrier industry is part of the equine world, which doesn't operate in a vacuum. So there are some things farriers should be aware of to help protect their businesses. So in this episode, I'm speaking with three farriers who have unique perspectives on this matter. First, I'll talk with Pat Broadus. And Pat has a business largely built on the thoroughbred industry in Kentucky, but he also travels for work. In fact, I spoke with him when Pat was on the road to New Orleans to service clients. The industry has come to know Pat not just as a skilled farrier, but as a keen business mind. In this portion, I picked his brain on how it has affected his business and for advice that other farriers, regardless of discipline, can take home to their practices. You're traveling, but your your home base is in Kentucky, and Kentucky has been pretty aggressive, I think, compared to some other states on this with closures. How, how is it affecting yeah. you in the more immediate? Like, my horses were not moving in until April 1, you know, through April 3rd. The big drove of horses were coming in. Uh, so, as of the moment, it hasn't affected me. Now, in the next two weeks, it's going to really affect me, you know, because I hired a guy coming from California to go to work for me and help me out here. Uh, and now, you know, now we're looking forward to going, I don't know if we're going to have the horses. You know, and, and uh, another guy quit his job, and, uh, his full-time job, he's a part-time farrier, uh, under the assumption that I would be able to give him work one or two days a week. Now I'm not sure I can. Then I had another guy moved out from New York in the, in the spring, I mean in the fall, knowing that we were going to, you know, he helped me get through the winter and I was out of town and he was out of town. So it kind of worked. And, but the deal was, is we were going to be rocking in the spring. And uh, so in the next two weeks is what we're really looking, putting everything together. I don't know that it's going to work out. You know, I know, I know at some point that it's going to, you know, cause this can't last forever. And I think that's the the thing to remember is is as grave as things may seem in terms of a short term business they they won't last forever. 
say the horses aren't there, what what's your plan over the next, say, three weeks? You know, over the next three weeks, and that's what I was telling them, I was like, look, I'm, you know, I, I promise you guys the, the job and everything, and I'm going to keep you fed. I just don't know that we're going to be able to do what we were hoping, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, I figure I'm going to take a little less money than what I was expecting to keep, you know, to keep everybody happy and keep everybody working. And it's going to be, you know, we're going to have to cut our circles down uh, and really go to jobs with purposes instead of wasting money running everywhere, you know, like we really should be doing in a business anyway. But we're really going to have to pay attention to those, make sure we're not wasting things, you know, make sure we're not making trips for wasted trips. And, you know, but I think we also have to be conscious of the client's and their uncertainty and them not unknowing right now. And, you know, I think it, I think it's a weird time in the country where a lot of us really don't know. And the biggest thing that I've, I've kind of worried about, you know, as they tell you, when you take a few weeks and, and things will get better. Well, a few weeks from when, you know, is it a few weeks from now? Is it a few weeks, from, a few weeks from now? Is it a few weeks from the last patient with the coronavirus? Is it, you know, is it a few weeks from when, the curve starts coming down and it looks like we got a handle on this. There's so much of the unknowing right now. And, and I, I hope we don't all get caught up in that and go into a panic, a tailspin. And I think impacts are felt, uh, whether races are closed or if you're in the show circuit, those are closed. Uh, even where maybe some backyard people are seeing clients extend, or uh, maybe there's a pro- prohibition in, in terms of attending a, a boarding barn what what advice yeah. do you have because you, you know you had mentioned being in tune to those costs and you know you have the reputation for delivering a lot of presentations over the years on on being mindful of where you're putting your money in your business uh is that is that the first place you'd suggest barriers to look what i've done too is i've kind of prepared myself uh in in the past for something like this to happen and, you know right now i've got I've got probably close to close to six months supply on supplies itself. So I don't have to worry about the outgo with the money. You know, so I, I prepared my business to withstand a, a drop. You know, so that I'm, I'm really not worried about my business as much as uh, some other people may be just because I prepared uh, correctly. Because we all know at some point, you know, whether it's you're going to blow out a knee, whether your back's going to go out, whether you know, something like the coronavirus is going to happen. At some point, we're going to have to be able to withstand the storm. And that's where I've tried to come at this as a, you know, as a business standpoint. Really, you need to be able to run a business. And at some point, you know, and and you've heard me talk to people that, um, you know, you don't make a profit when everything goes right. You try to make a profit as a business when everything goes wrong. And it may be a small profit, but at least you're not losing money. Mm-hmm. Um, so at this point, we're, we've tried to prepare our business to where we can go forward and we can withstand the storm because it's going to happen. Uh, so we're not going to make as much profit over the next few weeks, you know, three months, however long this takes. But I think our business can still be a profitable business. What What are a few yeah. steps for some fairs who maybe aren't as in tune with their business or you know, are in the midst of this and haven't made those plans for getting a handle on on expenses and revenue uh, to try to look at that 
either a break-even or a, a profitable margin. I think a lot of it's just about dollar and a cent. I think, I think a lot of us were probably carrying help that we may not need it. You're going to have to talk to your help. You know, because we all get into this uh, where we want to help everybody out. We want to do that. But it, before it's all said and done, you have to make sure you turn a profit. And I know several fairies that were carrying help because I just like to have people around. But you've also set that out there and let those people realize that you know, they're dependent on you now. You know, I kind of feel that's where I'm a little bit at right now. I've got people dependent on me. Uh, and I think it, a lot of it is take everybody, be clear, and you be transparent to them. And they know what's going on. Uh, and your customers know what's going on. And I think you, you know, like I had a talk with both of my customers. I'm headed to New at the moment that, you know, I have to be efficient and I can't come down here and I can't stretch these out and be down here for five or six days because I need to get back home to my family. Um, you know, and I think some of it is, you know, you need to be transparent with your, your customers and let them know that it is a business and let them know that, you know, we need to have horses ready. We need to be able to do things um, and help you out on the other end, uh, which a lot of it's just about the business. Try to set up a schedule where, you're making every movement count mm-hmm. instead of just running all over like your hair's on fire, you know. So I, I think a lot of it is just being transparent, just talking to each other. And we're we're a pretty crazy, you know, patriotic country and, and want to help each other out. At the end of the day, you know, a lot of us care about each other. Uh, so I think you know our customers will understand. And I, I don't think we ought to get into a tailspin and put a lot of things on the credit card. You still have to run a business, but maybe cut out some other areas in your life. That's where the, I guess the good part is, is the restaurants are closed. So uh, it's going to keep you spending a lot of money on food. It's going to make you save a little bit of money then. But sit down with your your spouse, your wife, your husband, your significant other, if it's just yourself, and, and sit down and be true to yourself and, and say, hey, we're, we're fixing to go through a little bit of a tough time here. We are going to see I don't care how big of a business you've got or a fail-proof business you've got. I've, I've got a pretty fail-proof business as far as in the thoroughbred industry because of, uh, you know, they're moving. They still need to be shod. Uh, as soon as this is over, everybody wants to be ready to run and wants to be ready to go. Even the horses that are not sure where they're going, um, you know, but I thought as fail-proof as I was that, Keeneland is going to be light for me. You know, well, it's, it's going to be non-existent. It's not, it's going to be light. So there's going to be another month pushback if, if we don't know where we're going from there. You know, so we kind of looked, uh, I sat down with Tori two days ago and we looked and we're trying to make smart decisions on what was going to happen. Uh, like I almost didn't go to New Orleans this trip. I'm headed down here and I'm going to try to push a six or seven day trip into three or four days. So I can get back home and take care of my family. And, and I don't think we need to lose sight of that part right now as far as worrying much about our business. Our families probably need us more. And it's just being comfortable with our family, I guess. And, and, uh, you know, and, and our kids need to be reassured it's going to be okay. And our wives and husbands need to be reassured that it's going to be okay. Um, you know, so I, I think me going down here and them worried about me and, me stretching this trip out, trip out like I normally would would normally be okay, but at this moment I need to get down there, 
I talk to my clients and they're okay with it, we're going to work pretty hard to get back home. Uh, mm-hmm. But it also allows me to, if I get down here and I push this into three and four days where it should be a six or seven day trip, it on the end when I get back, potentially to take on more horses when I get back and, and kind of fill the void of maybe somebody that's going to be lost. You know, there's some money lost that's going to happen. But it goes back to, and you've heard me say this, that I've tried to set my business up where I can run on 60%. I've tried to make my profit margin enough to where I could run on 60% of my business. Uh, and that all goes back to preparing for hard times. Very little times are you going to lose 40% of your business. I think there's being in this together is being sympathetic to what owners may be going through, but still operating a business and some owners may stretch out payments. And so fairs are going to see uh, poor cash flow. Uh, what, what, what advice do you have for, for that? Cash flow is everything in this business. Once you get paid is as important as cash flow sometimes. But I think we're going to have to be a little sympathetic to that because, you know, we're working for people that are losing income also. And it's uncontrollably on their part. Um, they're not they're not doing it on purpose. We're open and we're transparent with them and we understand their needs and they understand our needs and and uh, maybe it's one of those things that they express they're having a hard time that we get part of it now and, and part of it whenever. I've got a it, this may be off the subject a little bit, but it, it may work into it somehow, but you know, I've got a new customer sheet when I sit down and uh, they sign it and they pick their payment date. You know, it's maybe one of those things where because once somebody tells you they're going to pay you on a date, it hurts them to go over that date. Like it, it makes them feel like they're not as big a person if they give you your word uh, that they're going to pay you on a certain date. You know, and I don't think that's bad to ask if you say, I understand we're all in, in trouble right now and if I get half of it now, when can I have the rest of it? And, uh, they will do everything they can to pay you by that day because they've told you. Now, if you just leave it open-ended, the payment could be open-ended. Uh, but if you make people commit to dates a lot of times, they don't want to go back on their word. And then especially, I think, in something like this, if they give you their word they're going to do it, they feel that everybody needs their money because they know that they need theirs. So I think it's... A, being sympathetic, but also making people commit to to pay you. Uh, and not only a time frame, not in three weeks, not in two weeks. Give me a date, and I'll tell my customers whenever, you know, I've got a piece of paper, and, and you know, I'll tell them any, anywhere between one of the 1st and the 30th, you know, you pay me. You know, I, I'll tell them whatever, whatever's on there, that's what I expect to be paid on. But if they say the 15th, I'll say, are you sure? Because I don't want... You know, there's going to be some hard times. There's going to be some tough times. But why don't you give yourself another week? Uh, that way, you know that you can have me paid by that by that day. So it makes them commit to a day, and they know that's my day that they're supposed to pay me. Bye. Thank you, Pat, for your perspective. Earlier, I mentioned that things are moving fast with the coronavirus. Yesterday, I interviewed Domenico Cialaro, a farrier based in Italy. 
This morning, we re-recorded this portion because restrictions on farriers were announced after we first chatted. Italy has been at the center of this outbreak in terms of Western Europe. Domenico shares what is like as a farrier in a more restrictive environment compared to the United States at the moment. It may be difficult to understand him at times. He's not a native English speaker, but much of what he's discussing are the newer restrictions on farriers needing a veterinary permission to see horses. To begin with, tell, tell us a little bit about your practice, uh, what the horse culture is like in your area of Italy. Uh, in, uh, where I live in uh, my region, we, we have not a lot of, uh, to say, a big number of other horses, uh, especially about uh, jumping horses, potter horses, or desert horses. We have a few number of this kind of different uh, horse sports, uh, sports horses. So um, many parts in my region have to go to Japan horses, and American horses, Japanese horses. In my day life, uh, normally uh, I show um, desert horses, Chinese horses, but I'm able to show American quarter horses, trotting horses, and only in my my town I'm showing uh, mules because in my town there is a whole tradition about. And normally I show five, six horses per, per, per day because uh, my goal um, as a farrier is to take care of the quality of my job because um, I pay more attention to understand the details that, that are very, uh, really useful for the horse promotion. And for me, um, show a few horses a day is very good because um, give me give me the time to dedicate um, uh, to my scientific study about the equine commodity. Yeah, and I think some people will remember you from the International Hoof Care Summit uh, a few years ago, maybe have seen you at Mind here in the United States. So now we, we understand the news today uh, that Italy is on quarantine. And how has your work as a farrier been restricted starting with the earlier time and then now what it's like today? Yes, and today there is a, a big restriction about um, uh, the fire because um, fire vets are working to guarantee the uh, animal health care. But um, today there is a restriction that consists in this. The vets and the fire are to move to, um, uh, to care, take care of the horses uh, only is uh, really necessary or in case of emergency, only for this. In different, uh, uh, different cases, they have ever not to move from this house. And uh, about our job, uh, like uh, as a fire, to move from a, a town to shoe horses, they need uh, a vet prescription. That uh, um, this kind of um, vet prescription, that to um, explain that that specific horse with the name, the number of microchips, needs uh, the fire help to preserve the, uh, its uh, uh, health care. For example, tomorrow I have to show some horses with a chronic laminatis that without my job, the horse can, can not stay up, they, can, um, they cannot walk. But I can do it only with the vet prescription. Indeed, the vet today has sent me by email the, the, um, the prescription that it was emphasized that without my job, the horse cannot be 
well. So tomorrow, before to leave my home for this, this specific horses, I have with me the gov government form, uh, fill in with all my information, and that I'm following the rules about uh, uh, protection about, um, against the coronavirus, the vet prescription. Not only this way. Otherwise, if I'm not following the government rules and without the vet uh, prescription, I can have a fine and uh, uh, can have um, some, uh, you say, I can be more or less in jail. Depends, uh, depends on the gravity of um, what I'm doing. Does the veterinarian have to see the horse before you're allowed to go? It um, depends. For example, the horse I have to show tomorrow, we have worked together with this horse because um, I told you I have to show the lamin uh, chronic laminative uh, horses. So that's not very well the condition of horses and they know uh, and they know very well that uh, we have to show horses regularly for uh, this horse uh, health care. Otherwise, the vets have to visit the horse before, but the vets can visit um, the horse only is really necessary or for emergency. Otherwise, the vet cannot move from his house. Any indication how long this will stay in place? Um, uh, the quarantine is uh, um, until the 3rd of April. So these uh, this rules and this law is uh, uh, we have to um, follow it uh, to the 3rd of April. Otherwise, we have to, we see, to, um, to listen what the uh, Italian government uh, to explain us. If the quarantine can be, um, can be closed, or, be, uh, or um, the quarantine has to go on for no, how many days. Thank you, Domenico, for your report from Italy. Next, we'll talk with David Barron. David was a CGF farrier until injury permanently sidelined him from shoeing. He now works as a financial and insurance advisor with ISU Insurance Solution Group. You can learn more about his work at isgbarker.com. Once or even weeks ago, how many of us expected that a virus would impact the world to this degree? Ask David for his insight on how farriers can best prepare for tough, unexpected times. While action may be too late to prepare for COVID-19, once we get past this issue, take time to review what he advises to better prepare your business for the unexpected. From, from your point of view, as, as you know, an advocate for long-term planning, but also recognizing there's immediacy and, and certainly uh -huh. your background as a farrier. What, what suggestions do you have for, uh, is there some kind of universal advice to help make our way through this? Yeah, I mean, I think that, uh, you know, you sort of hit the nail on the head with your opening statement, which is like, you know, in my, uh, in our exposure or our experience of all of this stuff, it's all basically geared around exactly that long-term planning so typically the thing is you never know what you need until you sort of need it you know and i mean especially like in terms of like you know we handle a lot of uh, liability and casualty insurance but you know if you could be guaranteed that you would never need or never be in a scenario like this like you know as you put it a sort of uh, 
maybe not catastrophic event, but an event that is causing threat to your income, um, then you would have no need ever to purchase it. But it's four events exactly like this that, um, that you know, it comes in useful. The issue that uh, in the like, sort of property and casualty market that people are experiencing, not right now, so like we're in uh, the sort of greater Seattle area, and, um, you know, of course, people are, uh, hypersensitive to it and the governor here has actually mandated that certain small businesses close down <clears throat> um, you know so really at that point I mean we're in a state of national insur- uh, emergency you know things are very fluid it's all sort of touch and go and that sort of thing but as far as the insurance is concerned uh, the the issue with um, preparing for this type of scenario is that most insurance policies, you know, um, carry this uh, as a standard uh, form of a virus exclusion, you know. So um, basically, uh, the most appropriate piece of coverage that would help uh, small business owners in this scenario would be like the loss of business income. Um, but it's excluded on account of the virus exclusion. So, um, and then typically for that, for the loss of business income, the technicality is that they generally has to be an associated property loss. And so, i.e. there's uh, either your building uh, is unable to, you know, uh, accommodate your clients. But in this scenario, there is no property damage per se. This all just kind of comes down to, it's just an interruption of business that's being mandated on a government level. So it's really, you know, it's even for the most sort of like creative person, you know, you'd never really imagine like, oh yeah, there's going to be a, you know, sort of novel virus floating around. I should prepare for that. Um, I think really what it comes down to for the small business owner, so speaking directly to like the uh, farriery, at least, you know, the fortuitous scenario is that at least they're not being mandated um, to stop operations. That may come at some point down the line. But I think, um, you know, just getting back to sort of long-term preparation, the thing is that if you haven't already, really now would be a good time to uh, think about if this scenario were to rear its head again. So what would be the best safeguards? The best scenario is, well, we have two things going on. We have uh, a a situation at hand that is... um, Uh, interrupting our business uh, operations. And then we also have like a very volatile market that um, is, you know, if you have been sort of diligently contributing to some form of investment account, then that presumably has lost some volume uh, over the last couple of weeks. So those two things probably directly um, are worrying a lot of barriers. So I think this really comes down to when they talk about like emergency financial planning, um, you know, keeping cash on hand. Um, and then, of course, if you have the latitude, so i.e. not invested in uh, blended portfolio sort of market funds, and you can withdraw the cash, now's a pretty good time to sit, I think, in the cash. Um, and there's obviously all kinds of, you know, deals going on right now, major discount deals in that area. Um, so, yeah, I'd say, you know, sort of emergency financial planning, it varies from state to state what they recommend people should carry, you know, in sort of liquid cash, um, typically sort of like six months. But I think in this scenario, because there's been um, government intervention, they probably, and they've released sort of, I think it was like $8.3 billion in assistance. Um, I would imagine that on some level, there is going to be an attempt by the Fed to 
reinvigorate the market. And, and, you know, it's no secret that small businesses are the backbone of, you know, a sort of capitalistic economy. Um, so I'd imagine that retrospectively there'll be some support um, for businesses, you know. Um, I think the main thing at this point, I do sort of keep up on it, you know, on Facebook and sort of see what the general, you know, farrier population's um, reaction to it is. I think that um, part of the what's going on right now is that there is this ingrained uh, mentality from farriers that if I'm not working, I'm not making money. You know, so that there and that's a problem. You know, really, it should be um, whether I go, to, you know, whether I'm doing the work of farrier or not. The ideal scenario is that there should be some form of like um, uh, residual income coming in. So whether it's you know. Bonds aren't performing great either, but they are somewhat a little bit more, um, you know, stable and uh, safe than uh, stocks right now. But um, I don't know, you know, it's hard to look into the crystal ball, but I think all of this probably comes back. And I think actually, um, you know, the um, on this score, probably the administration's quite right. I think that it, it, immediately following this, once they can get a handle on it, there will be like a return to sort of business as usual. And I think we'll, we'll see a, you know, big upward sort of swing um, as people really, you know, plow back and really want to get back in. It's just a case of right now, how do you weather the storm? The best way to weather it is if you have, you know, some reserves, that would be the best case scenario. And then obviously the most responsible thing is isolation, not spreading it, you know, all of those things. So fortunately for most farriers, I think they have the latitude to do those things, call ahead, do you want me to come, don't you want me to come, um, you know, carry all the appropriate stuff, the sanitizing equipment, um, and, you know, preferably interact with the, uh, with the, uh, with the clients directly. Um, but yeah, I think um, in terms of, yeah, the long-term preparation, it's exactly that, keeping, you know, enough money on hand that you're not watching your, you know, investment accounts just sort of whittle away down to nothing. Um, and then, uh, you know, as far as insurance is, unfortunately, it just seems that because of that um, fairly standard exclusion, that's going to be a, a problem for a lot of uh, people. Now, on the other hand, if they'd been paying into L&I, presumably there would be some compensation there. Can you explain that? In Washington, we have what they call a monopolized workers' compensation program. So it basically means that the government handles it. Um, but in any scenario, you know, as the owner of a company, you can elect to enroll into L and I. Um, you know, there, there's some advantages to doing it. It's a fairly limited uh, program when it's uh, government administered. You know, as compared to sort of private market um, alternatives. But I think, um, you know, if you were enrolled into something like that, that, that might be a, a good source to sort of fall back on. Now, we weather the storm, we get past it, things get to some normalcy. I look back as a farrier who maybe hasn't been the best at financial planning. Uh, this is a question I ask you every time. How do I start? How do I, for what that catastrophe might be, whether there's protection or not through insurance, how do I start becoming a better investor? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think it's just anything. It's like anything, right? I mean, like, I just remember, I remember I went to Jim Keith's uh, shop in Tucumcari, New Mexico, and uh, he had told me, he said, you know, the thing is, um, the first shoe is probably going to be pretty ugly, and the second shoe and the 99th shoe is going to be pretty ugly, but I bet the 100th shoe is better looking than the first one. 
And, um, you know, I think it's just, it, I think it's true for anything, you know, you want to be a journalist, you know, uh, probably the first article is going to be kind of rough and pretty shaky, but I bet after you've done it like 2000 times, you're like, no problem, you know? So it's the same thing with that. I think it's the, the hardest step is the first step, right? You know, so it's going like, oh my gosh, well, how do I do that? Who do I trust, et cetera, et cetera. You know, I, I just always go back to John Bogle, you know, which is, um, you know, don't, don't spend a lot of time trying to look for the needle in the haystack because I mean, they have all kinds of computer software. They have all kinds of genius individuals trying to figure that out. And they nine times out of 10 get it wrong. Um, I would just do the, you know, instead of looking for the needle in the haystack, just buy the haystack sort of things. So I think very, very easy thing to do is, um, you know, these sort of blended portfolios like target retirement funds um, that are managed for you, but they're very like balanced, Funds. So there'll be some bonds, there'll be some stocks, there'll be some you know, ETFs. Right now, like I think commodity traded um, funds, you know, uh, something that's actually backed by, by a thing, by a real thing, um, is going to be a very um, good, uh, a good place to start. But you know, I always say, you know, I think, where, you know, you pick your flavor, I'm kind of, pro, you know, um, biased toward Vanguard. Just because they they always you know they have these like sort of uh, high dividend yield funds that you know always seem to outperform the market. Um, they have very very clever people working there, and they and they just do it where it's as simple as like what age do you want to retire? How much money do you want to retire with? Um, and just go from there. But yeah, I mean, and and it all comes back, I think, to this very fundamental underlying principle, which is however you want to look at it, MV equals PQ, or you know. Uh, time as an exponent over money, however you want to look at it, the best thing is start early and do it consistently. So even if you are 18 years old and you feel like, well, you know, um, you know, I don't, I don't have whatever 500 bucks in my bank account. How do I get started with that? Hey, I mean, like, even if you took 10 bucks, and just, just started doing it, I mean, everybody started somewhere. Nobody, walked into a brokerage house with, you know, a billion dollars and said, oh, I'm looking to buy some stocks, you know, no. I mean, everybody started off with, oh, I've got a hundred bucks and I'm flat broke, but I want to turn the hundred bucks into 200 bucks. Can I do it this way? And that's just how you get going. So, but the best advice is, yeah, um, if you um, haven't started already, just start right now, you know, and um, because time is, that's the only that's really the only um, way to produce volume, you know, is just keep doing it consistently and do it early enough that you, um, that it grows. I just want to add something else to that is that, I mean, really, if you look at it, like, you know, maybe not as of today, but up until like yesterday, the market is still up over where it was like a year ago. It just goes up, you know what I mean? Like as long as there's people and people who are willing to work, there's going to be GDP, there's going to be economy. And um, that's why it's so great to live in America, you know? So, I mean, it's never a bad investment. The main thing is uh, information, knowledge, and with knowledge is how much do I know, but also how much do I not know? And then I think the other thing that bears mentioning is that like, if I look back through history, um, now I'm not a virologist and I'm not a, you know, a doctor, in any capacity. But um, if you look back through history, like it probably is not going to be coronavirus that wipes us all off the face of the earth. But at some point, you know, if you look at like the plague, plague wiped out, you know, way more people than World War One ever did. Um, and World War One's wiped out, you know, 
a significant, you know, contention of Europeans. At some point, there's enough of us around walking around like pretty good food for virus and bacteria. At some point, you know, there will be something um, that happens. It might not happen in our lifetime, but we should probably, if you're, if you're not planned, uh, if you're not prepared for something, something's going to happen. So, you know, you just don't want to be put in a scenario where you're sort of caught um, unprepared for it. Thank you, David, and thank you to Pat and Domenico. In the April 2020 issue of American Farriers Journal, we will feature more business advice for farriers on withstanding the ill effects of this time. We also will have a free downloadable report about working with your clients' horses during the pandemic, and that's available at AmericanFarriers.com. Until next time, thanks for listening.